трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast, the uh, latest on Russian football news from the website, the only website, I should say, exclusively about Russian football. And uh, joining me today, um, we've got two new guests from the last time, but they are two experienced uh, players coming onto the field. Um, the first one is our uh, Rubin man, really, but does a lot of, a lot about the other clubs as well. Um, that's uh, David Sanson. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Good stuff, and we've got our uh, our regular northeast lad from the northeast of England. Um, that's James Nichols. Uh, Rick Tom. Yes, I. Uh, I'd say a bit like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know any northern dialect. You're not. Are you a Geordie or is that offensive? If you're a Sunderland oh, no. fan. No, I don't. I, I don't. I'm a. I'm a stand dancer. I'm directly between the two, thankfully, so I don't get involved in, with either. Oh right, okay. So sorry, we're really sidetracking here. So if you're Sunderland, if you're sort of the <laughs> Sunderland end, what what are you? Uh, Mackham's a Sunderland fans. Ah, uh, that's the one. But that is, but Geordie's like general Newcastle and talking about out just general regions rather than fans. Oh, yeah. I, I, if someone says that you're a Geordie, I'll just be like, yes, because the only people who get annoyed by that are people from the centre of Sunderland. But... Well, I'm glad we cleared that up anyway. <laughs> but anyway, we've got the, um, the the restart of the Russian Premier League this weekend, of course, after the long winter break. Uh, the last game, of course, being in December. We're now uh, in March as... Um, with the Russian Premier League kicking off underway. Just to run through the fixtures um, for, the, for the listeners, uh, we've got Angie at home to Rubin, then Siske Moscow at home to Ural, uh, Zeni against Amkar, uh, Krasnodar Rostov, Skakhbarovsk versus Tosna, Ufa, Dinamo Moscow, Lokomotiv Moscow versus Spartak Moscow, nice Moscow derby there to start things off, and uh, Arsenal Tula against Akhmat Grozny. So, I mean, James, I'm going to come to you first. The main highlight here we're looking at will be uh, Locomotive's game at home to um, to Spartak. I think I said that right in the original. I'm having a big weird deja vu now. Anyway, my worry was that they would not keep up their uh, their autumn form into the spring. So how do you see it going down? Because we saw them have a very good win in the Europa League. Yeah, likewise. I think I've just said before we came on the pod that I actually predicted Loco to have a disappointing season this season. I thought that Choluka being out injured for so long, he's only just got back now, and then not being able to have like a full, full uh, first strength striker. I mean, Adair really wasn't good enough. Ari was also likewise out injured, but then far fans came through, and Loco actually remind me a little bit of Spartak last season, where late on in the in this first half of the season they were just grinding out results, just getting the result that they needed without really doing it as emphatically as they did earlier on in the season, maybe. But I ex- exactly the same. I expected them to maybe slip up once or twice. How many players on the locomotive side have this title experience, have this knowledge of being out heads? They're always the chasers. They're always the ones who are underperforming and not really expected to do much, but now the expectations are upon them. And the way they've played this season has just been absolutely brilliant. I mean, last week against Nice, Manu Fernandes was unbelievable, just literally unplayable. And this is, I mean, it's usually what the fourth Moscow derby was considered. Loco and Spartak don't really have that much of a rivalry when you compare the other Moscow derbies. It's like Loco were always the fourth team in Moscow. But now it's probably the biggest game of the season. And David, what's your take on Loco as well? I mean, we're going to get on to transfers later, but they didn't really do anything in the January window. And does that surprise you somewhat? And how do you see them getting on in this uh, second part of the season? Uh, I think I think they'll carry on... Uh 
playing really well. I'm expecting them to uh, get a get a win against Spartak this weekend. I mean, their form this season against the big sides has been, you know, they've been terrific. They've had these amazing wins against Spartak and Zenit and Siska. So I think they'll uh, they'll kick on well. Um, as for doing no transfers, I don't think that's a big worry. Um, they've had Chorluk come back from injury, uh, which is, to use the old cliche, like a new signing itself. Um, and then why, why rock the boat, you know? They've kept all their big players. They don't need to add anything to something that's not broken. So I think I think it was fine for them to uh, just keep their team as they are, keep the unit, keep the camaraderie that they've got, and hopefully they'll uh, carry on. And uh, I think they can win the league. So we both predict, I mean, I know, James, you said that they perform averagely early in the season, which goes to show that predictions never work. But are we essentially all yeah. saying that we're expecting them to win the league this season, not expecting any hiccups? Oh, I... My team is Spartak, so I must preface whatever I say with that statement. But it all depends on this weekend's game. Eight points might already be a little bit too much. But this weekend, if Spartak win in local, the pressure is on. There'll be five points between the, between the two. Spartak have won seven games in a row in the Premier League. I mean, local themselves have only won one. Uh, won six of the last seven, sorry. So they're both going in good form, but... Like I said before, Loco haven't been in this position before and it will be telling to, to get in three or four games' time when the pressure's really on. When Spartak themselves last season nearly slipped up but goals from like Denis Grushakov in the 92nd minute against Amkar, that beautiful rocket from the edge of the area, won it for Spartak. Games like that where they ground out and got the result right at the end. Loco need to do that. Eight points might be a bit too much but I, right now, I'd say the title's Loco's but it, that might change completely come Sunday night. I know we're going to touch on this later, David, but looking at the European aspect of Loco's uh, second half of the season, obviously got Atletico Madrid coming up, tough game, uh, which we'll touch on later, as I said. But do you, I mean, James talks about the pressure there. If Could that sort of distract them, especially if they lose this weekend? I know you said that you expect them to win, but say they lose, hypothetically, and it's five-point gap. Could there be a huge influence from that, that European tie? Well... I mean, they've had the European football all season. You know, they've had to they've had to play throughout the group stage alongside all their you know, big results and big wins. So I think they've managed it so far, and I think as the weather improves as well, they'll they'll be fine to carry on managing it. Uh, as James said, you know, last year he had Spartak grinding out all those results with you know late minute goals or just one nil wins or whatever. But Locomotive have been doing it as well. I mean, just before the winter break, you had a couple of victories which came from really late goals from Farfan. Uh, just just as a result of them keeping on grinding to try and get try and get the win, and and they've done it so far. So I think um, I think they can carry on doing that throughout the, the second half of the season. I mean, it's only ten games. It's it's really not long left uh, in the grand scheme of things. And eight points is a lot, especially with um, Spartak still to play. Locomotive and a number of their other rivals. So let's move on to those title chases then. James, we've touched on Spartak, so I, I'm going to come to you instantly on that one. So what would you say are Spartak's chances of catching Loco? Or actually, no, let's, let's, sorry, James, let's change the perspective on that a bit in terms of making those top European spots. So top two, my, my call for the top two personally is Locomotive and Spartak. In what order, I'm not quite sure yet. The other, Zenit have got a brilliant team and probably when you look on paper, the most talented team in the league. 
But Zenit's team seems to me have been built for Europe. The players that they've got were built for Europe. The players that they've got perform best in Europe. Emiliano Ligoni hasn't picked up an assist nor a goal at all this season in the league. And he's got a hat-trick and is the joint top scorer in the Europa League. I don't know if the aim was to focus upon Europe at the start of the season from Zenit. But I think they will now. Especially with the tie against RP and Leipzig. They've got a decent chance. It's a, it's a hard game, don't get me wrong, but it's a decent, much, much easier than locomotives. And they've got a decent chance of progressing far into that competition. I think they are favourites. So for me, the title race is between Spartak and Logo. From a Spartak perspective, two weeks ago, I would have said they will catch up with Logo. But then the injury to Georgie Jukia happened. And you cannot underestimate just how much of a disaster that is for the Spartak defence. On their day, they're already a defence who are crumbling under teams who transition fast, who counter-attack with pace, who sit back and attack. And that's what nearly every single team in, in the Russian division does, especially against Spartak. Biggest problem, though, is the replacement is likely to be Ilya Kutepov, who is possibly one of the most mistake-ridden defenders I've ever seen play in the red and white of Spartak. So, but, sorry, James, just, just on... <laughs> you and Andrew Flint need to get a room because you and him would have... <laughs> Days of sort of loving discussions about how bad he is. He's awful. He is absolutely awful. Three of the goals against Athletic Club were Kudipov's fault. Directly his fault. The first was just pure awful positioning. He didn't have the wherewithal even realise that the most dangerous striker in the history of the Europa League, Aritz Adonis, is right on his shoulder. Granted, Tashki didn't communicate with Kudipov or let him know that he was there either. So it's not just his fault. But he's got no positional awareness for the second goal. What was that tackle for the free kick? Granted... The, the, the deflection was really unlucky and it just absolutely ironic that it happened to hit him. But then the third, he, the third is literally a simple clearance. All he needs to do is kick the ball, just kick the ball as it's coming towards him. And he completely messes that up as well. He's just he's not just a player who's low on confidence. I just don't think he's that able in the first place. And that's why Nikola Masovmovic coming back this weekend for Spartak, so key in the, in the fixture. I mean, Tashki went off injured in the, in the second leg against Athletic. And Maximovic was ineligible and couldn't play. So they had Kudepov and Bocchetti in central defence, and that's just a horror show. So hopefully it'll be Bocchetti and uh, Maximovic, and they'll give Loco a run for the money. But I, I think either way, it's going to be a high-scoring game. And if they can keep, if Maximovic is a successful transfer, hopefully it lessens the blow of the, of the GKR injury, then Spartak could catch Loco. And then, David, um, James has talked about Spartak there. He thinks that they'll make that top two spot. What about Zenit then? Because they seem to be had that really good win against Celtic. Are we expecting them to carry that form on? Or do you sort of side with James slightly? You think, are they actually more of a European side? I think Zenit can do both. They've got almost two whole squads of players, really, haven't they? You've got, when they play the weaker teams in the league, they stick on Polos, they stick on... European, they stick on all these players who don't get the games in Europe and they still have been able to grind out the results obviously Cochrane's form in the first half of the season was was terrific, he did sort of tail off slightly and they had that poor run before Christmas like Zenit tends to do, but I think they will end up above Spartak uh, I just don't I don't see Spartak carrying on and, and getting getting the spot just the way they're playing at the moment just doesn't inspire any confidence in me and without Jikia as well it's just it's a big loss well, you've also got um, Hanny as well coming in and you have to wonder if he'll if he's going to be a central role in in the attacking midfield spot how well will the, 
the Spartak attack, will it be very fluid? I think um, my outside bet actually is for Krasnodar to get the second spot. They uh, they grinded their way through the first half of the season without Smolov for quite a while because he was injured and was still getting results. And now they're up, they're up in that group with the rest. Smolov's back and was scoring a lot just before Christmas. They've added Oleg Shatov to their squad. It, it, they're looking very strong and I think they've got a real chance of pipping them to the post if they're not paying attention. Let's move a bit further down the table, actually, James, now, because we've sort of covered that top bit, if you like. Looking at that relegation battle in the second half of the season, just trying to get who um, Tosno have got the weekend, for example. They're third from bottom. Tosno away at Scar, so that's sort of the a must-win for them, really. Do you Are you expecting any big movers in that relegation zone? I think the one side who will pull away is Dinamo. Dinamo somehow, because I don't know where they found the money, but have strengthened effectively in the transfer in the transfer window. Uh, Constantine Rausch is an intelligent signing. He's going to want to play regular football with the, his chances of getting in the Russia squad towards the World Cup. Uh, he's a good attacking threat, an outlet down the left-hand side. Uh, Yevgeny Markov from Tosna is an excellent signing. Markov was a little bit less heralded than Zabolotny, but he's what, scored eight goals so far this season. And he's a very good target man. And that's kind of what... Dino have kind of replaced what they missed in the first half of the season. They've got a strong defence. They've got absolutely brilliant defence and goalkeeper. They hardly ever concede. But without Panchenko, they lost a lot of the goals and creativity. And Fatas Bekelai just didn't really... wasn't really up to the job and neither was uh, Wanderson. So they essentially bought a whole new front line. I mean, Fyodor Chernik is can either play up front or behind the striker a little bit in the Panchenko mould. He is basically like a poor man's Panchenko. And then Markov, as a target man, his central striker, is is going to be quite exciting come the end of the season. And I think they'll probably just bolt themselves out of out of the relegation battle. I think from then, it's between, obviously, Amkar, Angie and Tosna, then Scar. The Scar are gone. So it's the other three about trying to get into the playoffs or going down. Now, everybody's kind of just going and seeing Tosno and and burying them before before balls kicked at the second half of the season. And I can understandably so see why. And as mentioned, as Zabalotny and Markov both leaving and replacing them with probably one of the most underwhelming transfers in the history of the Russian Premier League and money-grabbing Pavel Pogrebniak. But they have signed a few very talented midfielders as well, and Ilya Zhigulev and Ricardinho, who is actually... Captain of Sheriff Tiraspol, who uh, were in Locos Europa League group. So I don't think Tosno are a foregone conclusion just yet, and a lot of people are writing them off already to go, to go straight back down with Skar Kavalovsk. Uh, for me personally, Skar are down, and the one to look out for could actually be Amkar Piem. Uh, Angie and Tosna are both strengthened in the transfer window, but Amkar are in a terrible financial peril right now. There's a Huge case, there's a huge uh, battle going on between the regional governor and the club themselves about funding behind the club and the regional government numerous times have threatened to cease funding. And there was actually rumours that the um, Amcar wouldn't have made it through the winter and probably and might not make it to the end of the season. Uh, and as a case, uh, because of that, as a result, they haven't been able to sign anybody in the transfer window. Uh, they've only just internally promoted players from the lower, lower, uh, lower ranks in the club. And because they've got such an unim- uninspiring club they've uh, apart from Aaron Olinari sorry they've signed but, uh, and a few others but I don't really rate Olinari very highly 
and was it didn't play great, didn't play very well in the midweek game against Avangard Kursk. And uh, they couldn't raise money and like Ruben did or free up money on wages like Ruben were able to because they've just got an uninspiring squad. I don't think many clubs are going to be able to afford to bring on Dorco Bodil. And David, I mean, we're talking about Amcar then. I seriously worry for them. Like James says, well-documented financial problems. No signings in the window. Uh, lowest scorers in the league, I think, with uh, just the 12 goals. They're, I fear for them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been a big disliker of Amcar. Um, the squad is very uninspiring. Olinari is born brought in as the goal man, but does he even really score goals? He can do it at Cisco, who have a lot better providers is he going to do it at Amgar it's unlikely and then to top it all off they've just sacked their manager Gadji Gadjiev a man with lots of experience and replaced him with Vadim Ivsev who has only managed a third tier Tekstil Shikivanovu it, it doesn't bode well for them I think uh, sadly Scar will be gone as much as I like them and enjoy watching the games Tosno without any real firepower could struggle and I think Rostov despite strengthening the squad um they looked a bit uninspiring over the winter in the winter break. I mean, obviously that could all change, but I think they'd be one to keep an eye on maybe in the playoffs. And obviously around Rostov, David, is uh, is your beloved Rubin. Well, I, as I say with Amkar, well-documented financial problems. How do you see their second half of the season working out? Well, I mean, from what I've seen, um, well, Verdiev was publicly stating before uh, the winter break that he wanted some creators in midfield to provide for the strikers. Uh, he's done that and brought in Popov, Mogilevitz, Noboa, and Podboroshkin in midfield. I mean, they're four terrific signings on paper. Um, and if they can provide for Asmoon uh, and whoever else might play up top, then I think I think Rubin will be okay. I mean, as you so uh, signs are already looking good for them uh, from what I've seen in preseason, and uh, and I think they'll be safe. Um, they're not going to. I don't think they'll be able to make their way up the table, but I think they'll be safe. As we mentioned earlier, we'll look at the European previews now. I mean, James, looking at um, Lokomotiv, of course, up against Atletico Madrid, a great win against Nice in the last round, of course. Not, I don't think many people is, is expected that really. I mean, I, I can't remember what we said on the Europa previews actually, but I was never quite sure about that. But that's a fantastic win. But going up against Atletico will just be a huge test now. Yeah, I, I don't honestly see Loco getting much out of this. I think they're the strongest defensively. They're much stronger defensively than Spartak, so obviously more better suited to uh, Europe than Spartak. And I just don't have to think... Atletico are, I think, the favourites for the comp, whole competition. They're just way too strong. Loco possibly, definitely, probably could have got further in the competition if they weren't facing such a strong side. Uh, as I say against Nice, Nice was... Nice started off very strongly against Loco and Loco were very they were just asleep on the ball they were unimpressive and then suddenly Manu Fernandez came to life and he was absolutely brilliant got the hat-trick in the end and he, he pushed his team to victory just like he pushed his team to victory in so many times with the hat-trick against Sheriff Tiras Ball in the last game against Spartak while we were on the topic of this weekend it was 2-0 Spartak at half-time and then Fernandez decided that he wanted to play football got two assists scored a brilliant free kick and Loco went 4-2 up and eventually won 4-3. So Loco are hard to call. It's Atletico are a brilliant team and I think they're just too good for Loco. And I can't honestly see Loco getting anything out of either leg. 
But if anybody could, it's Loco this season. If they've got Jefferson Farfan firing fit, if the Marantruck twins and Fernandez are playing to the best of their ability, they might they could give Atletico a run for the money. But that's probably the most optimistic I'll be able to get for them, to be honest. And what's your take on the Loco situation, David? I mean, you're surely remaining similarly pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, I like to be optimistic, but I think all three clubs have been handed very difficult draws in the Europa League. Um, Locomotive, obviously, with the most difficult one of all. Um, you can't say no to anything. You know, Ruben uh, defeated Atletico, or Atletico a few years ago. Uh, granted, Ruben were better at, at that stage and Atletico were slightly worse, but they managed to do it. So you can't rule out anything, especially with how much confidence Locomotive have and how well they've played against the bigger sides in domestically this season. That's that's something to really keep in mind. Um, the form against the big teams has been really, really good. So they might they might take it by the horns and, and give them a real game, but uh, on paper, no, I, I'd say they, they're going to go out along with, I think both both the others have a real good chance of, of going out as well as in it against Leipzig. Leipzig are, I think towards the top of the, the Bundesliga and they really can't be um, underestimated as a as a dominant force in Europe. They, I think, who did they knock out just for? I feel like they knocked out Napoli, which, yeah. considering how well Napoli have been playing in Italy, that's a huge scalp. Uh, and compared to that, Zenit would be nothing. So I think Zenit have to really um, keep their wits about them against Leipzig. And Siska, well, Siska is Siska and they're they've got to be able to score and able to go through and I just can't see that happening uh, at all at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the the Cisco game. I mean, I'm slightly more optimistic about Zenit. I'll, I'll come on to that in a bit. But James, looking at the Cisco game, uh, the Leon fixture, the fact that they're at home first, that worries me slightly because that means there's a lot of pressure on that game. If they concede, because we know their team is built on defence, if they concede, it's, it's a tie-over. Yeah, I think Cisco have got about as much chance of qualification as any any of us do having a relationship with Victoria Lopareva. They uh, they're a team that can't score goals and rely on an aging defence. The the first choice central defender is injured and out for the season, so it's probably going to be the Berezutsky twins and Ignashevich with with average with the, sorry the accumulated age of 105, or they're going to put Pontus Vernbloom in central defence. Now Vernbloom played there in the First leg against Red Star Belgrade, and he was he was solid. And he didn't play too great, didn't play too badly, but he effectively had nothing to do. Red Star hardly attacked Siska. They played Siska at their own game. And still, even then, hit them on the counter-attack and actually worried them at times a little thoughts. But this is a whole different aspect than Leon. I mean, if you look at Leon's front four in uh, Mariana Diaz, uh, Nabil Fakir, uh, Memphis Depay and Bertrand Traore, they are four young players. Like I think, what the between the ages of twenty-two and twenty-four, they've been scoring for fun this season. Fikir's got sixteen goals. Diaz has got fifteen. Uh, Depay is nine, and Traore is six. They play on the counter with pace and very skillful. Exactly what the Cisco defence cannot handle, and it's especially so without Victor Vassin. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if this, as a two over over the course of two legs, was a Leon. However many goals at they would have scored Siska zero. I, I can't, couldn't see Siska scoring and unless they rely on the brilliance of Zagoyev and Alexander Golovin in midfield. Yeah, I want to move on to the Zenit thing now, David, because you seemed a bit pessimistic and I can sort of see your reasoning. Obviously, we know uh, RB Leipzig are a very good side, but 
talking i mean this is this is really clutching at straws to be honest i, I have to be honest about that and you'll probably tell me exactly that but the fact that they are well they've got the home leg second as they did against celtic they had that i mean i know celtic are different to rb leipzig but the fact that they've got that home led second i would say is quite a big advantage oh yeah it's definitely the toy you want you definitely want to play the home leg second um and of course, you know anything can happen back in the in, uh, in St Petersburg. Um, the home form this season's been pretty good, uh, particularly in Europe. So it's it's going to be a really competitive game. Um, and they just have to make sure they keep their eye on the ball um, when they go to Germany to play Leipzig. Uh, it, it is it generally is a hard game to predict, um, but based on Leipzig's pedigree, you would you well for me they just seem to have the edge on paper just about over Zenit who have tripped up at times and have had players in not so great form. Um, Rigoni seemed a bit invisible in both legs against Celtic. I thought Kokorin has finally scored again, but it was just a tap in. Um, so it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough, but I feel like Leipzig will still just about edge it. Um, unfortunately for the, for Zenit this season. And just going back to your earlier point, James, because I'm still clutching at these straws. They're still firmly in my hand and they're still being clutched <laughs> at. Is You mentioned about Zenit being perhaps a more European side. Could that yeah. give them any sort of favour in this game? Well, I'm going to join in clutching at these straws, Tom. Uh, and that's for a few reasons. I think the disadvantages and the problems that Zenit have first are that they don't... I mean, they've been successful against teams who play like Celtic. Celtic are going to control the ball. Zenit want to do that as well. But Razen Ballsport, Leipzig, RB Leipzig are just going to let Celtic do that. It's, Celtic, sorry. It's going to let Zenit do that. And they're going to counter-attack them with pace. Leipzig are a very efficient unit. And especially in that first leg, the, the, the match might be, the, the whole leg might be over by, by, the, by the time they even take them back to St. Petersburg because Zenit are without Leandro Paredes, the best player, who is suspended for the first leg. But in saying that, Zenit have been winning at half-time and full-time of eight of the last Europa League matches. They've got the, the joint two top scorers in the competition this season. And they've got the, third, the fourth top scorer. And to help them even more, they haven't lost at all at home in, the, in, in, in Europe in the, in the Stadium St. Petersburg. And the game before the first leg for Leipzig is, away, is, at home, is at home to Borussia Dortmund. And the game before the second leg is at home to Bayern Munich. So Zenit might just might just come through this tie for chance of pure luck, apart from obviously being a very talented team themselves and fitted well to Europe. The fact that Leipzig have to play Borussia Dortmund and then Bayern Munich three days before each tie is huge for Zenit, and it's going to be such a massive bonus. And I think Mancini's just got to get his players to to look at that and build upon that. These players are going to be a, a knackered, they're going to be absolutely knackered by the time they play Zenit, unless of course Ralph Hasenhutl. Uh, rotate his squad but can he afford to rotate his squad against Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich you know for a fact Mancini's going to rotate his squad David had the great point earlier that I never mentioned never thought of is that Zenit effectively have a Zenit B I'm not saying Zenit 2 because they're a completely different proposition but the Zenit B of like Polos and Yalakin and Dallas Talentiev who come in when they need to come in they, they can play the mid they can play the weekend games in RFPL they can play this weekend against Amcar and then they can keep the Argentinians they saw the strong Argentinian contingent who have impressed so much in Europe. Ivanovic, who's 33 now, they can keep him for Europe. They can just rest these players 
in Perm against Leipzig on on Thursday night. Com- com- not fatigued whatsoever. Meanwhile, Leipzig players have just went through 90 minutes of hell against Borussia Dortmund, and then two weeks a week later, 90 minutes of hell against Bayern Munich. So I'm going to I'm going to join you. It's going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be very tough for Zenit. And I think pers- I, my head says that Leipzig will go through. But going for my heart, and I'm going to join you in clutching those straws. And I think Zenit could get something in this. Has that swayed you, David, at all? Um, if I was a ship and I was sinking, you would still say I was sinking, <laughs> but not quite so, not quite as fast. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, it, it's they are very good points. Um, I mean, obviously, Zenit have brought in even more players. They brought in Osdoyev and Nabulian, who will help rest. Um, Kurishito and one of the central midfielders as well so that they've got even more options to rest their squad um, and granted I personally have never seen Leipzig play but just based on reputation alone I still give them the edge in the tie I wanted to. I know I'm really sort of jumping back to the start of the podcast here David but I wanted to touch on that point you made earlier and James mentions it there and you subsequently mentioned it, about Zenit having that sort of B team, if you like. By the way, Zenit Dwar are in the relegation zone of the FNAL. But uh, that's a different point entirely. But um, this Zenit B team, is that why they are second in the league? Because they just don't... They've dropped too many points, essentially. I don't, I'm not sure that is the total case, because they, they've never fully rotated. There's always some of their strong players... Whether it be Mamana or Kanavita or whoever, or usually you get one or two of the RGs starting every week, and usually you get Krishito playing and you get Lunyov playing and you get one of the big strikers playing. But then I've got all these new players who've come in. They've got, you, I, I imagine, they could probably play a whole Russian squad now in the league, and it would probably be a Russian team that you could say, yeah, they they, they could all make the national team, uh, and. And that team on paper should be strong enough to beat most of the fodder in the bottom half. Um, but they don't. That's that's the problem. And it could be the fact that they just don't play often. It could be the fact they're not motivated as much because they don't play often. It could just be that they're not as good players. You know, Terentiev is a solid enough player, but I don't really think he's Zenit quality. Just like, you know, they've, they've shipped out Naboa because they bought him in and he really wasn't Zenit quality. He's just a hard worker and that for Zenit is not enough. And they've just they've you must have played less than a handful of you know, probably less than five games and he's he's gone already. Um and I'm surprised it didn't happen to more players. I'm surprised that Polos stuck around. Uh and I'm surprised that Terentiev stuck around, especially with the addition of Nabiul into the squad. Um Ostoyev coming in, you it's hard to see him coming into playing probably more than there's ten league games before the end of the season. I'd be surprised if you played more than five. Uh, and, you know, it's it's the draw of Zenit and it's the draw of you know trying to get their spot in the world in the World Cup squad. But these players will will just be there for the bit part, and come next season when they're building up for Europe again, they'll be back to playing their bit part. And if they're happy to do that, that's fine. But it's a negative effect for the players and sometimes for the for the team because they drop points because of it. Let's. Uh, look, you've mentioned a lot of the, sort of the comings and goings at Zenit. So let's look at the the transfer window generally, which is, of course has now slammed shut. Uh, on our last podcast, it hadn't quite finished, but it, it was getting to that tail end. So, um, I mean, 
James, let's, we were talking, actually, let's take a slightly different approach to the end of this transfer window, because I know you've collected quite a lot of stats in terms of revenue and things. So I think the listeners would be really keen to hear that. Yeah. Well, we looked at the winter window, the Russian Premier League, went, just the Russian Premier League winter window. And these are, we've compared them with the English Premier League. And these are all transfers, including loans, but excluding internal club transfers. So players who have been promoted from, say, Zenit 2 to Zenit first team, that's, that doesn't really count because that's not something you get in English. So we've excluded them. And this is in the Russian Premier League. Uh, in winter, in, in the winter transfer loan, in the Russian Premier League, there's been 75 arrivals. Now, that's for a total expense of 25.7 million euros. Per club, that's 1.6 million euros. Per player, 343,000. Now, if you compare that to the English Premier League, that's 77 arrivals, which is just two more. But their expenses are 480 million over the whole of the window. Just 20 clubs spent 480 million euros compared to the 16 of Russia of 25 million euros. The expenditure per club in England in the winter in the English Premier League was 24.1 million. And the expenditures per player was 7 million. On average, they spent 7 million euros per player. But it's unbelievable. The overall expenditure in the Russian Football Premier League in winter was on par with the average per club in England, which just shows how the, these two the clubs from these two leagues in Europe are expected to compete at the same level. But the money that England get, the advertising that England, the English Premier League gets, the all the bonuses, the sponsorship deals, everything that the English Premier League gets is so far away and ahead of everybody else. How can you expect these Russian teams to compete? The departures are the same. 72 players departed the Russian Premier League in the winter window. 91 from the Premier League. The 72 from Russia brought in 17.7 million euros for the clubs. The transfer revenue for the Premier League was 380 million euros. The income per club in Russia was 1.18, and income per club in the Premier League was 19 million. Each Premier League club made nine, just under 20 million euros just from transfers in January alone, whereas in February, each club made 1.1 million. And you wonder why they ask ourselves, seems like uh, Ruben Kazan, Amkar Pyrm, Skar Kowalovsk, uh, Lucian Nizhia Vladivostok, why there's been so many high-profile stories of historic Russian teams and Premier League Russian teams struggling financially. And that's exactly why the TV money in Russia is just simply not enough. And these statistics on the transfer window prove exactly this problem. As a total for each, there was 147 transfers in Russia. Total balance was minus 8 million euros. So on overall, the 16 clubs between them spent 8 million euros on transfers. The total balance and, and, and profit, net profit that is. The net profit of the English Premier League ones is minus 101 million. Each Premier League club made, made as much as every single Russian club put together in the winter. And that's just an unbelievable like comparison to look at. So sorry, James, I've, I've got a bit sort of lost there, just ever so slightly. So in terms of net spending, are we saying the Russian clubs have, have generally made a profit in the window? Or is it the well, opposite? They, yeah, they've spent on net, the 16 clubs together, they've spent of 8 million. So it's a minus 8 million euro balance as opposed to the, the, the English one, which is minus 101 million euros. But it's just the, 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 un, the most egregious part for me is that, that Russia, Russia spent 25 million euros throughout the whole, the whole of the, the window. Every single club, all 16, spent 25 million euros 
added together. One single English club, on average, spent 24 million euros. So 16 Russian teams in the Premier League spent exactly the same as what one English club did. Unbelievable. That is shocking, to be honest. But, David, I wanna, I'm sure you'll want to comment on those stats as well, because they're quite amazing, really. But look, sort of tying in the, the money theme to general transfers is... So what would you say is the best value transfer of the Russian Premier League so far? Based on quality and how much they've got it and the uh, the fact that come, he's come from a rival, you, you have to look at, for me, you have to look at Shatov to Krasnodar. Um, they've got him on a loan. I think they, they paid, I seem to recall, it's around between 150 and 300,000 euros for the total loan the end of the season and this is for a Russian international really creative attacking midfielder who the foreign managers from Zenit's past have all said that he is one of the players that they would take to Europe if they could um, and they've got him on a loan from their direct you know rivals for the European spots I mean that's that would be like you know Liverpool loaning like Rashford or Martial from Manchester United essentially Maybe not the direct rivalry between the clubs, but in terms of stature of the clubs, uh, it's a terrific deal for them. Uh, there's a lot. There's plenty of other, you know, great moves that a lot of the other clubs have made. But that that one, if we're saying, you know, what's the best value? That's the best value because they've paid pittance for uh, a terrific player there. And one of the um, clubs that interests me quite a lot in this transfer window, James, you mentioned Dinamo, which I think is an int- I mean, their financial thing and the number of players they've brought in, that's certainly a weird case. But looking at like Rostov here, I think that they've got in uh, Sigurdsson from Fulham, they've got uh, Guliev on- only on loan from Spartak, then they've got Sigurdsson, former Wolves player uh, from Molde. So quite a few interesting transfers going on there. There'll be an article coming up on the site pretty soon. It's, uh, it's analysing the transfer window and Rostov don't actually get a, a, a big mention. They just get a passing a passing reference because I think they've although they've signed some interesting players. Like this this uh, this window is just a very Rostov window, really. The, every single player they've signed have either been from the Fener L or like or then uh, Sigurdsson on loan technically from Fulham. It's the, the technically the Bolton from and Sigurdsson, the ex Wolves player who was. If I'm perfectly honest, was awful in the championship, like really truly awful. But he, I think he's he could have something about them to to compete in the in the Premier League. But this the only one of Rostov signings that was bought didn't come from England or the Fener L. Uh, it was just a very Rostov window. Like they just, I, I don't think they've had a very good one. I mean, eight no not sorry nine players from Rostov have went from. From the Selmashi to Berdyev at Rubin this season, in winter and summer put together, obviously with Bukharov going. Oh well, if if that transfer actually gets completed, uh, Bukharov going now and Nobo uh, now signing for Berdyev. So Berdyev himself has signed nine players, not directly from Rostov, but former players from them, and they've replaced some of them with ample quality. I mean, the centre back. The, the dual Icelandic centre back partnership alongside Boban of uh, Sveri Sveri Ingi Ingas 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 and Ragnar Sigurdsson is a very experienced, very strong centre back partnership, and I think they'll definitely perform very well. But I just worry where Rostov's goals are going to come from. 
I mean, Bukharov and Yadyun were not exactly prolific before the window. Bukharov's now gone and has been replaced by another non-prolific target man with midfielders playing off him who also aren't prolific in scoring goals. So I do, I do wonder if Rostov might actually be dragged down a little bit because of their window. I mean, David, we talk about Bukharov there, and I saw on your Twitter account, um, this is a really interesting story, actually, and you're particularly relevant with you here with the Rubin situation, of course. And that's the one surrounding uh, Maxim Kanunikov. Can you sort of enlighten the listeners about that? So today, Rubin released Maxim Kanunikov. Uh, they released him as a free transfer. You know, that, that's a Russian international forward. He played at the 2014 World Cup. Um, so at that point in time, I was, I'd been informed that Rubin were going to release Kanunikov. He's going to join Skarkabarov's um, until the end of the season on a free transfer permanent. And at that point, I was told then that the plan was that he would then rejoin Rubin on a free transfer at the end of the season. Rubin would then go as a replacement for Kanunikov. But Bukharov, um, an injury, I mean, an Achilles injury. So anything that happens with him, he's on hold. Uh, he's recovering from that. Uh, and I think that's not due to happen until another, well, perhaps another month. So the injury alone is probably going to rule Bukharov out of um, joining the World Cup squad. I know you mentioned, I think that's just going to just about kill him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's in limbo at the moment and all signs are pointing that, you know, he will sign for Rubin eventually this season. Um, but a very, very odd situation with him and Kanunikov. Um, obviously, the transfer window is well and truly really shut. And yet we're still seeing these deals apparently going through. Uh, yeah, very, very odd situation. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Rostov's window on paper, I, I liked it. They they did they did some good transfers in. I like I like um, Sigurdsson and I really like Guliev as a midfielder. Um, and I think the standout one for me was that they brought back Skopintsev, who'd been on loan at Baltica uh, in the FNAL. And uh, he he's actually, funny enough, he actually played for RB Leipzig um, for a year uh, when they were in the second Bundesliga. And uh, he's, he, I think he scored 11 goals about in the FNAL this season from left midfield, which is a really good number for a, for a young Russian player. And uh, he's done he's done really well over the winter break for them. Actually, um, played a lot of the games, scored and scored and assisted in them. And uh, I think having he's a nice, exciting Russian player coming through, and I think he can really hopefully inspire them. You know, he'll be sitting behind the striker with probably with um, Alexander Zuev, who's on loan from Spartak as well. Um, and I think he he's he's an interesting one. Sigurd Arsen, I tend to agree with James. I haven't seen him before, and. I've, and I know his reputation in Norway is good and his reputation in England is bad. Um, but he, he played in a number of the games over the winter break but didn't score a single goal. So it doesn't bode well. Um, their chance creation this season has not been good for Bukharov or for Diadjian. I mean, Diadjian's a terrible striker anyway. But as I mentioned earlier, I, I fear for them. And it's it's for that reason, the same the same that James says, I, I don't think they're going to have um, any luck with scoring goals in the second half of this season. And just sort of to round off the uh, the transfer window topic and indeed the podcast, just quickly from both of you, I'll come to you first, James. Just um, who's had the worst window and who's had the best window, would you say? Well, um, best window, either. Either one of Dinamo or Arsenal Tula. They've both strengthened in areas that needed to be strengthened intelligently. They have brought in some genuinely surprising options. I mean, who would have ever known that both Artem, Artem Zuba and Ivan Novoselsev will be playing at Arsenal Tula in 2018. But uh, Dinamo as well, obviously, as I've mentioned before, with the Markov and Rausch and Fyodor Chernik, 
Um, Abdelaziz Tete, we our fan actually got an exclusive on the transfer. Uh, we've had we've heard some mixed mixed thing, mixed reports for on Tete from uh, fans of the Polish league. Uh, some are saying he's he's powerful, but just isn't very good. If I'm honest, it's like, it's a poor man's a poor man's central midfielder. Uh, I don't really see how Tete is going to dislodge Samba Sao from midfield anyway. I mean, if you play the both of them, there's just where's the creativity in midfield anyway. Uh, but in most, in, uh, could I add one as well? Most interesting transfer windows actually Scar Kowalowski uh, bringing in Rinas Billyletinov, who's of course famous for blooding youth, and signing uh, numerous young players, young and exciting Russian players like uh, Kirill Kolesnichenko from uh, Chetanovo Moscow, uh, Maxim Karpov, uh, Georgi Makadza, uh, and Sergei Makarov, who were all players under the age of. 24, Artem Samsonov as well, all players under the age of 24, uh, exciting futures, and it kind of, I don't know if it's Skar Havlovsk really trying to stay up in the Premier League, or if, if I'm perfectly honest, if they're just kind of preparing for life in the FNL. And then they've had the most, so they've had the, definitely the most interesting transfer window. And the worst is a bit of a toss-up, it's either Amkar Piem who said he's only made one real first-team signer, and that's Alan, Aaron Olinari, who I don't rate very much highly anyway. And when he's not playing, he's, when, it, when he's not uh, playing well, he's injured. <laughs> and then either, or either that or actually, which might be a bit controversial, for worse, maybe Lokomotive. And now I know they're obviously a brilliant team already. But as Alex Ferguson famously said, you don't strengthen when you're at your lowest point. You strengthen when you're at your best. You, you strengthen when you're at your strongest point. That's what a winner does. Did Spartak done last year? Spartak identified what they needed to do to strengthen, what they needed to do to get that first title in 15, 16 years home. That's exactly what they went out and done. And then because of that strengthening in January, goal, important goals later on from Alexander Samedov, the signing of Selikov, the signing of Georgi Jikia, won Spartak that title. Loco haven't done that. Who, did, who have they brought in to keep that continuity, to push them further? Now, of course, Yuri Semin is a legendary manager. They've got some wonderful players playing out of their skin. Probably this group of players as a unit is probably playing the best football of their, all of their careers. But as, he, as Ferguson famously said, you need to strengthen at your strongest, and Lokomotiv simply haven't done that. So it may be controversial, but for me, local worst uh, transfer window, Arsenal and Dinamo best. Um, what about your thoughts on that then, David? Yeah, I agree with Amcar, they would be near the bottom. I think my other worst would um, essentially be Akmat. Um, they didn't sell anyone, and the only real difference to their squad is that Adlan Katsayev came back from Angie, where he'd been on loan. Um, and as a club who, you know, they want to get into Europe and have been underperforming slightly, um, they really needed to do something, I thought, this window, and they haven't done anything. So, um, a bit of a shame there. Um, I think Angie did really well. Um, they've they've brought in some really um, interesting players from Russia, Russia's lower tiers, and from around the world. Um, and on paper, I think I think they've got a really exciting squad. Uh, I agree with Dino. They they obviously the four players they brought in have got good pedigree. Uh, I think Rubin did well to clear off their wage budget. You know they got rid of Mbila, Listien, Rashina, Bauer, Zambrano. 
uh, Saktas and then eventually Ozdoyev and Nabiulin left and they brought in a lot of players uh, for free or on loan, uh, Popov, Naboa, uh, Mogilevets, Podboroshkin. Uh, I think I think they've done not bad this this window and as James rightly said about Scar, um, really interesting considering that they're almost certainly going down. Uh, you have to wonder if maybe they've had, I mean obviously it's it's definitely uh, Billy Odinov's doing but was there maybe an agreement with the the Russian FA um, to say, look, we, we need these young players getting football. Uh, will you take them? You know, as James said, they've got Makarov, Bogayev, Samsonov, Kolesnichenko, Karpov and Makatadze. And these are all young, exciting Russian players who, granted, it's only 10 league games, but it's 10 league games under their belt that they, they need to help their development. Um, and the only other dodgy one I would mention is is uh, Tosno, who just didn't do a good enough job replacing Zabalotny and Markov just by bringing in Puragobniak. That That's not good enough for me uh, to lose. I think uh, a stat that I remember from just before Christmas, Zabalotny and Markov have contributed to 16 of the 19 goals that Tosno scored this season by assisting or scoring them. Uh, and they've just lost those two players and brought in a guy who flew to Milan because he didn't want to play Angie when he was at Dinamo. It's not good enough. The perfect pessimistic note to end the podcast, I think, guys. <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. But um, but yeah, thanks that's for thanks optimist. for your uh, sorry. And that's from the optimist. Yeah, exactly. As you said earlier, so we're we're getting you on our side though, uh, David. That's perfect. But thanks to my two guests. Thank you, James. Uh, cheers, Tom. Yeah, and thank thank you, David, as well. No props. Thank you. And uh, do, of course, look at RussianFootballNews.com, the website, uh, Twitter feed, at RussFootballNews, RussianFootballNews Facebook page. We've got the Predictions League coming back, so do try and get involved in that. There are cash prizes to be won. Do get involved. And um, do, of course, subscribe to this podcast, uh, leave a review on whatever format you use, and that would be really fantastic. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч.